the great writer C.S. Lewis once asserted this, every person is composed of a few themes. Now think about that. What themes do you have in your life? What are the few themes that your life is composed of? Well, part of my journey recently has been to identify these few themes in my life. Some of these themes I've sought out intentionally. Some of them have just sort of bubbled up in my soul, and they remain constant. Um, Linda thinks I use this kind of as a way to buy more books because I will thumb through a book and see a word and say, well, that's the theme that God wants me to buy that book. And um, that's wearing thin, I think, now. So, oh, the wonders of Amazon where you can read a sample of a book online. And if you work hard enough, you can find that theme in that book and then convince yourself. But you get the idea. One of these themes that I have been owning and seeking to live into is that of living the undivided life. I remember a few years ago, first time I saw license plates or magnets on the car down here, uh, it says a house divided, and usually it was someone who was a NC State and UNC Chapel Hill or Duke and UNC Chapel Hill, uh, kids going there, or in Indiana be Purdue and Indiana, and of course the wedding I did uh, last night had UNC and, and Duke fans, and there was a TV on during the reception, so it was a wedding divided. Um, and uh, was not good planning on someone's part, because to try to get the bride and groom up for the toast about 7.30, quarter late, took about three times for the DJ to finally get them, could they please pull themselves away from the TV, because we want to toast you now. But I wonder if they would ever have stickers for humans that we could wear that says a heart divided, or a soul divided. I'm not talking about whether you're divided over a certain college team, but the the dividedness that goes deeper into that soul, the unseen place. That place where we can't see it, but we know what's going on at least most of the time. Now, here's what it looks like, maybe, or what it feels like. It can come in many forms. This sort of undividedness, or this dividedness, I should say, a heart divided. For example... We refuse to invest ourselves in our work and diminishing its quality. We distance ourselves from those we're meant to serve because it's just not, we're not feeling it anymore. Uh, We make a living at jobs that violate our basic values, even when survival doesn't absolutely demand it, but we just keep chugging away. We stay in relationships or settings that steadily kill off our spirits and our souls. That, for me, by the way, has become quite... Uh, a sign for me. It's a very simple question I ask, and maybe it's a too general question, but I involve myself in things, and and I'll come away from it, and I'll ask myself, was it life-giving? Is this life-giving? And when it's not, I have to ask myself, okay, so why am I involved? Why am I participating in this? If it is life-giving, then I keep following that. We harbor secrets to achieve personal gain at the expense of others. Maybe we hide our beliefs from those who disagree with us to avoid conflict, challenge, change. We conceal our true identities for fear of being criticized, shunned, attacked, or rejected. So these are just some things on the radar that we can look for. Maybe we're living somewhat of a divided life. So there's this cost to living this life, and that cost comes in the form of this devitalized life, a life that lacks energy, a life that lacks aliveness. This conflict we live at times, we want to feel alive, but our souls are void of that. A few, few uh, weeks ago, I read this quote from Brian McLaren, and I want to revisit it. 
Because here's what he has to say. It reminds us about what the spiritual journey is all about. What we all want is pretty simple. We want to be alive, to feel alive, not just exist but to thrive, to live out loud, walk tall, breathe free. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid, more awake, more grateful, more energized and purposeful. The quest for aliveness is the best thing about religion. I think it's what we're hoping for when we pray. It's why we gather, why we celebrate, why we eat, attend, practice, sing, and contemplate. When people say, I am spiritual, what they mean, I think, is simply, I am seeking aliveness. Now, that has become another theme that bubbles up for me in my life. What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to feel alive deep within? So to seek this undivided life is part of our spiritual quest. It's part of our journey, if not the whole purpose of our journey, one that ultimately leads to wholeness. One famous monk, you may not know him, but he's famous to some folks. His name is Thomas Merton. He once wrote this, There is in all things a hidden wholeness. A hidden wholeness. In other words, We were not created to live divided lives, divided within ourselves, divided from our truest self, divided from our deepest convictions, divided from a life which gives us life. In many ways, we may have cut ourselves off from the very deepest core of who we are. Unable for the time being to be able to find our way back, we live this divided life, divided between the life that's ours to live and the life that we think we're supposed to live. And that's a tough place to be in. The life that we know we are to live and the life we think we're supposed to live. And we get exhausted, we get tired, we get resentful, we get angry, we, we languish, and some just live a resigned life, resigning themselves to feeling as if they'll never live a life that feels a life that feels whole, that feels undivided. All right, so living the undivided life. So where does Scripture, where does, where does that invite us into this process? Well, Kevin read out of Psalm 86, right in those verses 11 and 12. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. I've come to realize that God's grace comes to us in many ways and manifests itself in many ways. And one of the significant ways I believe God's grace comes to us is in this form of an undivided heart. It's not something I achieve or accomplish as much as it's a gift I receive from God. We ask, or we don't ask for an undivided heart solely for our own self-fulfillment. We ask for this undivided heart that our lives may be made whole. And out of this wholeness, we live this life of trust and dependence upon our Creator instead of us trying to create a life we think will finally look successful. This asking and inviting God to give us an undivided heart involves inviting God to teach us, which fits very well as I understand my own faith tradition, our faith tradition as friends. Christ has come to teach his people himself. Teach me your way, the psalmist writes, that I may walk in your truth. As I thought about this phrase, I asked myself the question, so when I invite God to teach me, what does it look like? Now, it may look different for you, but here's what it looks like for me. First, I invite God to tell me who I am, to teach me about myself. No one knows me better than the one who created me. And as I, as I wait, as I get silent, as I listen, God often teaches me about myself. 
Sometimes it's not easy to hear. Sometimes I, I don't like what I see. It doesn't mean I hate myself. I just don't like what I see. And there's a moment of revelation. There's a moment of truth there. Other times I experience joy through this deeper understanding of who I am, who God is calling me to become. But I believe this part of walking in God's truth, coming to this deeper understanding of ourselves through the light of God is very important. So invite God to teach you about yourself. Who am I, God? Show me. The second is I invite God to remind me about how life is to be lived in a way that's beautiful, in a way that's just, in a way that's right, to teach me the ways of God, if you will, the ways of the kingdom of God. And I need this because I'm often bent on doing it my own way or getting sucked into the more cultural way or this time of year aligning myself with the more political way. I get sucked into all of that. And to be honest, when I invite God to remind me about how life is to be lived in a way that's beautiful, right, and just, God simply shows me one thing. He says, well, look at Jesus. That's a good place to start. Because Jesus is this manifestation of God's beauty and rightness and goodness and justice. And God often reminds me about the whole of Jesus' life, not just his miracles and his teachings, but how Jesus wrestled with his temptations, how Jesus struggled with living into his call, and how he knew himself deeply as God's beloved. And so when I ask and invite God to remind me how his life to be lived, often God points me right back to the life of Jesus. And then third, I invite God to integrate my way with God's ways, to make the truth of God's way a living truth in my life. And this isn't head knowledge or propositional beliefs. This is integrating the way of Jesus with my life and integrating my life with the way of Jesus. It's integrating my life with what I understand to be God's rule and God's reign and into my daily actions, decisions, and choices. Now, that may seem really heady. That may really seem really complicated, but it really isn't. But it's challenging because what I often find is that I would rather do it my way. I would rather do it according to my agenda. I would rather do it according to what I think is more expedient, which fits my worldview. But as I live into this life that's undivided or seek to, I find that there is another way that I've been called to, that we've been called to as people of faith. It's to live in the way of Jesus. It's to live in the way of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God, where Jesus says, seek first the kingdom, and everything else will be added to you as well. And there's a certain aliveness to this because I feel that when I'm doing this, I'm living this, this life of integrity, which really comes from the same word to integrate, is to combine one thing with another so that it becomes whole. And as we live these integrated lives, we live these lives of wholeness, and we bring this wholeness to bear upon the world. It looks like this. It's integrating into my life God's deep, deep love for me so that I live as one who is deeply loved, and I'm able to then love others in the same way. Some of you have, have uh, repeated back to me a phrase that I've said a number of times, and, and uh, what I'm learning is, is that I may, m- I may make it way too complicated because this is a very short phrase, and it's the one thing you always remember. Uh, but it's this phrase, hurting people hurt people. And what I often find is people who don't know they're deeply loved don't know how to deeply love others. People in some ways who live in self-hate find a way to hate others. People who reject themselves continually 
find a way to reject others because that's all they know. So when I integrate into my life God's deep love, I live as one who is deeply loved. It's integrating into my life God's deep compassion for me so that I'm able to offer that compassion for others. It's integrating into my life the gifts God has given me so that I'm living out those gifts and abilities and I'm living out the way God has called me to be in this world. And it's integrating into my life God's rule and God's reign and God's kingdom ways so that my allegiance isn't co-opted by some state or by some political allegiance, but I I identify myself first and foremost as a citizen of God's kingdom. And I know that's kind of tricky. I know that's kind of radical, even kind of challenging in an election year. But I have to do it in order to get a clear perspective on what really matters and what is important. Am I telling you what to do? By no means, not at all. I am asking you to consider, though, this. What does it mean to live as a person who lives under the rule and reign of God when we're simply being invited to have a whole host of other allegiances, especially during this time? It's worth thinking about. It's worth praying over. It's worth giving thought and contemplation to. You see, an integrated life, this undivided life, means we bring that life to all that we do. Here's the alternative. The alternative is to bring a divided life to our world. When I bring a divided life, I bring my fearful and protective self. I bring my fight or flight self. I bring from a divided place this this person who will continually look as the world as us against them, and I can't see the value in understanding or listening to others. When I bring a divided heart and soul to life, I'm more at home with a divided world than I am in a world where there's collaboration and understanding and deep connection. Dividedness lacks intimacy in this ability to hear others and be present to others. And it requires that we be vulnerable with one another. To live from a divided place means we forget how to be vulnerable to each other and receive the other. There's this um, author by the name of Richard Rohr. And he has a wonderful way of saying, if we don't heal our pain, we will transmit it. We'll literally be like electric conductors transmitting our pain to others and to life around us. And he, he, he sort of expands on this, and I want to share this with you. Um, here's what he says. Is your religion helping you to transform your pain? If it doesn't, it's junk religion. We all have pain. It's the human situation we all carry it in a big black bag behind us, and it gets heavier as we get older. Betrayal, rejection, disappointment, and wounds that are inflicted along the way. If we do not find some way to transform our pain, I can tell you with 100% certitude we will transmit it to those around us. We will create tension, negativity, suspicion, and fear wherever we go. And I would also define that as not living a life that's very alive. That's kind of a dead life. This is why the journey towards a life of wholeness, an an undivided life, is so crucial and necessary. Without it, we end up living our lives as those who simply transmit our pain and our dividedness. We end up revering ourselves and my own personal positions and our own personal opinions. But then when we seek to live a life of wholeness, an undivided life, a life that seeks to close the gaps in our soul, a life that seeks to have its own inner dividedness and divisions healed, a life that's integrated, 
we bring to this life a soul that seeks healing, seeks connection, seeks to revere God and God's ways, seeks that which brings life and invites others to flourish. This past week, you know, uh, Hannah had shared that Rob had, had broken his leg, his femur. So I met um, Morris and Beth up at the hospital. Rob had already come out of surgery, and he was in his uh, hospital bed in the hospital room. And uh, Beth was standing beside him, and, of course, he was doing much better, had the cast on and everything. And Beth says to me, so do you want to see the x-ray? It's like, you know, it's just one of those things where I don't really want to, but I can't look away. And uh, so she pulled it up on her phone, and I looked at it, and I thought, yep, that's a clean break right there. That is a broken bone. Um, poor little guy's femur was just poof, snapped in two, and you could see it right there. So I told her to put it away. Send it to Linda first, but then put it away. Um, but as I thought about that this morning, I thought, if only we could have those kind of pictures to see clearly the brokenness in our soul. If I could just somehow have that kind of picture, and someone could say, Scott, I want you to look at this. Here's where your soul's broken. You want to take a look at it? First of all, I'd probably say, my soul's not broken, which is pretty much an indication what? My soul is broken. But if I could just see it, then it would be much easier. But I can. I can see it if I'm willing to own it, to listen to invite God into that place to show me where my dividedness is, to invite God in that place to teach me how to live an undivided life. That's where the grace of God comes in. The grace of God allows us to see it in the context of God's deep healing love so that we're able to be mended, mended again in the process of living lives that are whole. And we just keep transmitting then wholeness. We keep transmitting healing we keep transmitting that parts of us which are experiencing God's deep grace and God's deep love and God's deep transformation. That's what I think it means to live an undivided life, to live a life that's whole, to live a life that's alive. Now let me read that passage again, and we'll take a few moments before we close. But we'll just make this our prayer for a few moments. Teach us your way, Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Give us all undivided hearts so that we don't just revere our personal opinions and positions, but we revere your name. We give thanks to you, Lord, our God, with our whole heart, and we will glorify your name forever.